Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New partner in on this. Partner again? Yeah, some caddies on loan from Dope. Real burnout on the ragged edge. Oh, perfect. Gun! Raj, meet your new partner. Action Movie Rewind Friday, gentlemen, brings us to Lethal Weapon, the first in a series of four movies. I don't think we're going to get to all Lethal Weapon movies. We're definitely going to dive into the the original one today and uh, some some twins televised air quotes scrimmage recap last night. But let's first thank Luther Brookdale Toyota 694 Brooklyn Boulevard and uh, all the work that they have done to keep customers safe over the last three or four months and keep their employees safe as well. One thing that stands out is if you don't feel comfortable going in and test driving yourself or walking into a showroom, that's totally understandable. They will bring a vehicle out to you. If you want to stop by their website, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com, or just give them a call, um, check out a vehicle that you like on the website, and, and, and they will bring it to you for a test drive. They'll clean it. And you can drive around in comfort and safety. A couple great deals right now. 0% interest for 60 months on all certified pre-owned Camrys and RAV4s. And all hybrids now have 0% financing as well. Again, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com and 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Gentlemen, I settled in last night. I went and bought one of those rotisserie chickens where they cut it up at Cub Foods. They cut oh, it up yeah. for oh, you. Great. It's, that's a great investment. Like buying the full rotisserie chicken and then you have to cut it up. And I always feel like I'm not good at actually cutting it up, but they'll cut it up for you. It's, it's peak laziness. <laughs> I like the full one. Just rip. No, I'm with Mackie. You just rip the meat off. The full like one. Yeah, but they will, no, but they literally will like they will cut it oh, up I know. for you. But I buy the full one and destroy it. Oh my god! I don't. know. I feel like you're leaving a lot of meat on the bone there. Yeah, but <laughs> I literally, feel, I feel like I get it all off. <laughs> so uh, had had rotisserie chicken in one hand, a white claw in the other, and I had the twins' official Facebook page pulled up on my tablet last night, and I was captivated for over an hour. No commentators except for like Sergio Romo in the bullpen yeah. and Josh Donaldson rounding the bases, but. Basically just four cameras, two on the pitcher, two on home plate, and then sometimes they would cut to like a wide upper deck shot of the outfield. That's my only nitpick. I wish that they would have showed us like where the baseballs were so landing. So no commentators? No, no commentators. Because Dick and Corey were there. They were in there the ballpark. in the press box? I heard them. Put yeah. them on a microphone. I heard them. I thought that they, they 
we're going to be there to team up on, on the call. I saw, I, I heard Bramer. I heard uh, our guy Provis. I saw Smalley. I think Jack Morris was there. I don't want to be nitpicky because this is the first baseball I've gotten to watch on a screen in like, you know, Are you gonna rip four him? months. But maybe if Corey Provis is in the ballpark, maybe put a put a microphone on Corey Provis and let him sit in the outfield and just call the action. And at one point, I, I did uh, see that in the second deck below the press box behind home plate, the only fan in the stadium was Mr. Smalley. Oh, he was sitting he in, was in the in seats. the stands. Yes, yes. He Are was you allowed the, to do that, or a is, fan is of one? Because he has a World Series ring, and he can. I think walk he can around. do it because he is a notable former twin, is my guess. But wouldn't you rather I'm sit not... in like an empty outfield section than sit in the press box? Oh, wasn't he like he was like in the Legends Club, like behind the plate, wasn't he? Yeah, that like the Delta saying? Sky Club seats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds. I would rather be there section than to yourself. But yeah. he was the, uh, as far as I could tell, unless I missed a fan somewhere down the line or something. A lone stray fan, Roy Smalley, was a crowd of one. Yeah. Last night, we were also reminded that the Twins signed Josh Donaldson. Remember that when the Twins gave $100 oh, yeah. million dollars to Josh bleeping Donaldson? And who did he take deep last night? Lewis it was Lewis Thorpe. Thorpe. Yeah. Yeah, lefty. Who actually pitched action. really well. One hit, one run, that was it. It was an Four opposite field home Lewis run. Thorpe. And I, Josh Donaldson absolutely pimped that home run about five times around the bases. <laughs> and I was here for it. I was all for it. He does the uh, the bring the rain sign thing that he does, and then he did like the fake high fives. Yes, but that was as much fun as I've had watching TV in four months last night, and it wasn't even on TV. Like Fox Sports North probably could have put that exact feed on with no commentators, and it would have generated a number. But that was amazing. You were in the ballpark, so what did what did you notice, Judd Zogad? It's going to take time to get used to no fans being there. It's like watching a Twilight Zone, and it's going to change. Like eventually. I think three, four, five games in, we're going to get more used to seeing this. Um, and, and I also saw a report today, and Baldelli actually talked about this post game. There is talk about, and it sounds like MLB is going to provide teams with the option of piping in crowd noise. Hmm. But you know what's really weird? It'd be weird for the Rays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and uh, Marlins as well. Yeah. But you know what's really weird is seeing like the scoreboard before the game light up and and here comes Lewis Thorpe and here's a here's yeah. a highlight video of Lewis Thorpe and there's nobody there and so when they did the scrimmage on Wednesday night they did it with with basically nothing so it was sort of odd but not super odd when they did it on Thursday night they did everything so like walk up music was played for players um between innings, they would show highlights on the scoreboard. When a guy came to the plate, his picture would be up on the scoreboard with his supposed stats. Uh, it's it's really, really weird. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's sports and it's baseball. So it's going to be weird, I think, for about a week or so. And then it's going to be, all right, this is fine. It was At it, least they're playing. It was a little creepy. It reminded me of that I Am Legend movie where Will Smith is like the only guy alive in, the, in a big yeah. city. And there's still like he walks into the video, like the DVD rental store and all the DVDs are still on the wall, but there's no one working there and there's no one in the streets. And it was it was pretty creepy when Taylor Rogers comes out for the second wave of hitters and pitchers and they're blasting his. I think it was Fleetwood Mac. The chain. His, yep. It was the chain. It's, it's yes. a great walk in music. Just blasting his walk in music. They've got, you know, all, like you said, all of the different in-game stuff on the big video board. But if there's no one in the stands, is that just to make it feel like is, yes, it, is it, it just to make the players feel like yes. it's a little bit more normal? Yes, because okay. it's completely bizarre. 
Um, but, but the problem is, so, and I think the reason why teams, for the most part, are going to elect to take the piped-in crowd noise, here's what's really weird, okay? Now batting, Byron Buxton, and then his song comes on, da, 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 and he goes up to the plate, and he digs in. And then it's silence. And you go to complete silence. Yeah. Like, unless somebody starts chattering a lot, it goes from, they announce who's coming up to the plate, they play that person's walk-up song, that person gets to the plate, starts to dig in into the batter's box, and you have nothing. At one point, and they weren't, sometimes, like I said, they were showing, you know, somebody would make contact, and then sometimes they would they would have a camera, like, up in the upper deck or at the top of the stadium yeah, or something. Yeah, I saw it was, like, overhead it looked like, right? Yeah. I did you, see an image of that. And the fielders looked like ants, and so you could kind of see, like, where the ball was going, but not really. Yep. For the most part, somebody would hit a ball, and... You wouldn't know, like, is it a home run? Is it a pop up? Is it was it caught? Was it a ground ball? Like, you don't you don't really know. But there was one instance where somebody hit a ball. I think it was Buxton hit a ball to left field, and it was like it was definitely on a line, kind of oh, like a soft line direct trajectory yeah. off the wall. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about a different. There was a different whatever it was. Okay. Someone hits a ball to left field. Yeah, and you don't see where it goes on camera. Right, and all of a sudden, like way in the background, you hear, "Oh, he caught it!" Na 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 na. And that was Sergio. Okay. <laughs> Romo was a one-man commentary team. From his the bullpen, beard, his dude. His beard is on point, by the way. Like, that dude had oh, it's great. a four-year beard on his chin. But you could hear him from the bullpen. Do you know how far <laughs> that is for a person's voice to travel fairly clearly? That's amazing. Like, he kept up a running commentary. It's either going to be embraced by guys, and they're going to think it's the funniest thing ever, or they're going to go crazy. I think I think the Twins are going but to it embrace cool. it. It was absolutely great. And then and then so he came in. I think it was after Taylor to pitch, and he comes in. He jogs in from the bullpen, and he's like cheering himself on, doffing his cap to the crowd. <laughs> he is a character. This team is so good. Like what I've been reminded of watching last night for an hour and a half or whatever it was, and then just following along the night before. Like Byron Buxton is the weak link in this lineup. Think about that. And and Byron Buxton has has the ability to flirt with an MVP if he puts it all together for 60 games. Did you see? He's the weak link in their lineup. Did you see the Odo Buxton 13 pitch at bat? I You know what? That was the only time I had stepped away balls. for a while. But they ended the at bat. Why not finish the at bat? They don't want to blow Odo Rizzi's arm yeah, out I, or something? Because, yeah, that, that was the last guy that Jake faced. And my guess is the 13th pitch reached his maximum allotted amount of pitches that they were going to have soft but what i'm telling you no but wait 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 (laughs) let's focus on the positive here the man took a 13 pitch at bat and fouled off 11 pitches that's a pretty damn good at bat so yeah if this if this guy can play let's say he could play 58 games phil Mackey. okay i'm really curious now like he's put i i think and I, I might be wrong here, but let's just go down this path. I think Byron Buxton has put things together where if he can stay healthy, this is going to be really intriguing. Like, t- like, like this, this could be the this could be the start of saying this is where it finally clicked. If he stays on the field, yeah, I am telling you, he is capable of winning an MVP. He's the best defensive center fielder yeah. in the game. We've seen him at. At the major league level, in the minor leagues, we've seen him hit 300. We've seen him hit for power. We've seen him steal bases. I'm not saying he is the favorite to an MVP or that it is likely he will win MVP. I'm saying 
there aren't many guys on the roster that are capable of winning an MVP, and he is one of them. He has the skills. He's their weak link in the lineup. He has the skill set to do it. I mean, he had an OPS of 728 offensively in 2017, and he still finished 18th in MVP because he was Correct. able to stay on the field and he was the best fielder in the game. Yes. Think about that. Like, if he, like, what was his, do you have his numbers yeah. in front of you? Yeah. What was his OPS in, like, the 50 games he played last year? It was 827. Yeah. So it was a whole, almost 100 points better. It was 100 points better. So he legitimately, it's watching him lace doubles to left field, even in meaningless spring training 2.0. Uh, has me excited to watch the Twins. I don't think if we he, can continue to not have COVID positives. I don't think he's going to be the weak link. Weak link. If we have this discussion in a month and a half from now, I think it'll be somebody else. Yeah, well, in a month and a half from now, there might not be a weak link in this line. Well, there might also not not be baseball. To your point, but I well, told Chip. I don't know why you needed to buzz kill. It like I told that. Chip Thanks on buzz killing. Wait, 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 wait. On conduits of trouble. Our podcast yesterday. I told Scoggins. Here's my theory now. All right. We all acknowledge that this thing's dicey, that, that as far as, as COVID-19 goes in this country, it's been very difficult. We're not doing a great job. Mm-hmm. So my theory on sports now is this, and this is a the first time I have done this in my entire life, and it is, it's so cliched, it, it makes me want to kick myself right in my own butt. But this is my theory now. You literally have to take sports day to day. Like if you wake up and they play, okay, cool. But as far as trying to say, okay, are we good? Are we going to have baseball games in October? Who knows, right? But if the Twins can get in inner squad game number three on Saturday, that's a positive. That's yeah. that is where that is where I am now because we don't know. It's a very zen like way to to live your life. It's a very meditative way to live. There's your no life. other way to do it now. I think it's the right way to live life. Period. Really, probably is. Don't, don't uh, not for me. Don't dwell on things. Nah. Not- Nothing. I think what's frustrating, too, is like the Twins seem to be doing this right with the testing and with the protocols, right? Like the Twins, like, and from my mind, seem like they are the standard of what it's going, of what's, what, what it should be. But yeah. the league and other teams are having the issues, and that's where that's I'm, a that's twins where prob- I'm trepidation. That's a Twins pro- problem, too. The Twins have done, the Twins are as professional as you possibly get, but these are all going to the lab out west. And and the, fa- the fact that this clown show of a <laughs> league said came back and had the audacity to say well yeah J- july 4th it took some time you started on july 4th dudes right I mean, like, like you did you not know that july 4th for i think a long time correct me if i'm wrong about this has been has been a special day a holiday in this country so for them to come back and be like well there were some uh, snags on july 4th. well of course there yeah, were well, you idiots the snag was they did they literally didn't talk about logistics of testing and safety until like Two weeks ago, and then that's the that's the snag. The uh, Washington Post did a story that I saw on Friday morning as well. That evidently they flew a charter back of players from the Dominican, like two charters, but they didn't. And according to them, couldn't they didn't test them there, so it spread on the plane. Oh, that's good. And that's a baseball thing. That's good. So like baseball, baseball, and trying to protect these players didn't test them in the Dominican, and so they basically put them all together on an airplane. Last time I checked, airplane air, not recycled. Yeah, Rob. Or Man- it is recycled. Rob Manfred this needs a- to not be the commissioner of baseball anymore <laughs> after 2020, and Tony Clark needs to not be the head of the players' union. But like, how they both you- proven completely incompetent the last two months. How do you whiff on that stuff? Yeah, like incompetence. 
they're yeah they're incompetent. Couldn't a doctor say this is a bad idea? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there have been doctors who've said. <laughs> I mean, yes. this is not that hard. Uh, so, um, a couple things we're gonna get. To, so the scoop with Doogie, we're gonna do. We're gonna try and keep doing it on Thursdays, but just like schedules and logistics. So we're doing it today, and there's some big news pertaining to uh, Big Ten football to get to, and also uh, action movie rewind. But a couple things first before we get to the rest of the show. We just relaunched the Mackie and Judd YouTube page. And thank you to everyone who helped us get over 200 subscribers yesterday. We appreciate you uh, clicking the subscribe button on that channel. So a lot of people have asked us, what's the best way we can help you? All the changes that were made and uh, all the people that lost jobs at Score North on May 1st. Uh, so it's it's Mackie and Judd. It's Purple Daily. Those are the two podcasts that we're continuing to produce on a daily basis. And Royce Unchained, Judd's Hockey Show as part of these verticals as well. Um, and YouTube, youtube.com slash score north for our Vikings content and youtube.com slash Mackie Judd for our just broad Minnesota sports and action movie rewind and write that down and all the other fun bits that we do on the show. So you can help the show by subscribing to our digital channels and you can help the show by giving us a positive review on Apple on Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily. A quick thank you to Federated Mutual Insurance Company, Federated has been around for over 100 years in the state of Minnesota helping businesses. And they've been particularly helpful to businesses the last three or four months or so during this pandemic period, providing written response plans, communications to employees. In fact, you can go to federatedinsurance.com and find a full list of industries that Federated protects, and you can find resources. You can also find the contact information for your local marketing representative, too. It's just uh, it's it's the wrong year to not have peace of mind from an insurance perspective if you're a business owner. So federatedinsurance.com is the place to go. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Declan? Yeah, quick thank you to DennisKirk.com for supporting Score North and Mackey and Judd. It's a little crazy out there, but one thing you can do is get out and ride, and Dennis Kirk will make sure your motorcycle is running and looking its best. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds, whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sports bike, dirt bike, any type of motorcycle, they have what you need. Over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 order ship free. And they pay return shipping on helmets and apparel products. DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. All right. The Scoop with our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson. You can find his Scoop podcast on Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com, also KSTP.com. He's part of 5 Eyewitness News' sports department. And the big news that came out yesterday, Doogie, and this impacts the Gophers, no non-conference football games. Well, that's just the start of it. We're already to the point in in the second week of July where we aren't going to do non-conference Big Ten football games and so uh the season in general might be in jeopardy what are your thoughts on that news yeah it's very unfortunate good morning phil good morning judd good morning declan i mean really it's unfortunate for all fall sports right phil i mean thinking about the university of minnesota the gopher volleyball team has the number one recruiting class in the country right like you'd like to see them play out a full season yeah have a chance to win a national championship Hugh McCutcheon and his team have come oh so close Right, and you feel for you know the soccer players, the cross country runners, but yeah, certainly football is the headline. My thought is, I'm not optimistic they'll find a way to play a full season, even with no non conference games. I mean, there is some chatter I can tell you guys about 
moving it from nine conference games to 10 conference games, then spreading out those 10 conference games over 14 or 15 weeks. But I'm just being a realist. Like, I don't know with all these positive tests, Clemson, 37 players, North Carolina, double-digit players, Ohio State has shut down workouts, right? Go up and down, east and west, all across the country. There are just so many positive tests. I'm just telling you, I'm not real confident we'll be able to get through an entire season. If uh, Doogie football does not play, what does that mean for the Gophers program, not just uh, from a football standpoint, but clearly from a standpoint of every single sport on that campus? Well, Judd, I mean, I've thought for a long time they have too many sports. So undoubtedly, they would have to cut some, right? Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to predict which ones you would cut. We've seen many programs, right? John Cunningham, who was Mark Coyle's right-hand man. He's now the AD at the University of Cincinnati. He cut one of their programs recently. I mean, there's a a number of examples, Bowling Green, others that have cut programs. So I don't know which ones, Judd, but undoubtedly, right? I mean, there's just so much revenue that's at stake that I just don't know how the University of Minnesota would continue to support 20-plus sports. Well, Doogie, I, I I did see, was it the preseason top 25 for the uh, AP? There was a college ranking that came out a couple weeks ago, and the Gophers were 12th in the preseason rankings. They're going to be good. Phil, we so, talked about this last week. Like, if there is a season, they should be really, really good. Yeah. Right? I mean, heck, I had somebody, I had a friend bring this up the other day. Watch them figure out a way to have a season, but with no fans. The Gophers win the Big Ten West. They then win the Big Ten championship game. They end up in Pasadena, right? They end up in the Rose Bowl, yet none of us can go, right? I mean, that's that's sort of how we're conditioned yeah. as, as a Minnesota sports observer and fan. But, you know, I would take that scenario over my over my pessimistic opinion that, that I just don't know if, if they're going to be able to get through 10 games, then an 11th game, a conference championship game, then ultimately a, a bowl season. And fans too. I, there, there has to be if if they do play um, as they tried to schedule yesterday, just conference games. I don't see any way on God's green earth that that you know at least until well into the year, if at all, that there can actually be fans in the stands. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I Judd, how can you how can you allow? I mean, and where do you cut it off? Is it five thousand? Is it ten thousand? Are you going to do temperature checks upon right. everybody walking into TCF Bank Stadium? Like, there's just so many layers there. And that's why what the Big Ten announced yesterday, you know, we just we don't know, though. Like, it's great. I understand they need to plan and TV partners need to plan. A lot of people need to plan. But, like, I was going back and forth with one, you know, U Athletics official, and he told me, A, he doesn't want to comment on the record yet because it's so fresh, but B, there's just so much unknown, you know? So, I mean, we can sit here, and it's fair to have these conversations. That's what we do on these podcasts and these radio shows. I mean, it's it's legitimate fodder, but we just don't know. We don't know the answer. We really, really don't. Uh, so I just saw another note here come out here from Major League Baseball. They just sent out the latest test results, COVID-19 test results. 66 positive tests, which is 1.8% of the nearly 4,000 total samples tested. And that includes 58 players and eight staff members to make up the 66. So that's not a super high number of positive tests. And then from there, most of them are probably symptom-free. I haven't seen the data on that. But 
What are you hearing about the first week or so of this Twins operation and, uh, and, and just the general vibe around the team since coming back to Target Field, Doogie? I would say it's going better here than many other locations, whether that's the San Francisco Giants, the Washington Nationals, the St. Louis Cardinals, the L.A. Angels, the Oakland A's. I mean, a number of teams have had issues getting test results back in a, in a timely fashion. The Twins have not had those issues. Now, I did think that Rich Hill on a Zoom call with us a couple of days ago brought up an interesting point, that clubhouse personnel are technically Tier 2 employees. So anybody on the field is considered a Tier 1 employee. Clubhouse personnel, for whatever reason, is considered Tier 2. So they are only tested twice a week. So while the clubhouse personnel is around these guys every day, they're not tested as often as the players. So I thought that was an interesting point by Rachel. Now, these clubhouse personnel workers are supposed to have, you know, PPE gear on. They're supposed to be, you know, keeping a safe distance. But I just don't know if that's realistic, right? Like, we're not talking, you know, where these guys are getting dressed, a real large area. So I just don't know, while social distancing makes sense, logically, I just don't know how often clubhouse personnel can legitimately keep you know, a safe distance from a lot of these guys. So I'm with Rich Hill. If there's a way, you know, you'd love for the clubhouse personnel to be tested as often as the players. Yeah, and th- those guys there are, are there constantly, too. So uh, my observation of the Twins is this. The Twins, from the top on down, Dukes, are a very calm team. Like, like they're, it, it's not a panicky, they don't complain lots. Uh, if the tests aren't being done quickly, they're probably going to be the last team uh, to publicly call out baseball, which they should do, but they probably won't. Uh, but I do get the impression from guys like Hill and guys like Garver and guys who, who are just going to basically tell you how they feel there are a lot of guys, probably rightfully so, getting set to start the year who aren't aren't rightfully so, again, fully confident and aren't necessarily comfortable. They're going to play. They need to play for a paycheck. Uh, but there is definitely, in my mind, a feeling of trepidation among players that some of them are willing to tell us about. Wholeheartedly agree. I mean, look at Buster Posey, not talking twins, but Buster Posey of the Giants has been away from the team for a couple days for personal reasons, but there's a belief that he's weighing whether to play or not. David Price, you know, bowed out. Here's what's interesting to me, Judd. What if, I don't think this will happen, but what if the twins get off to a slow start or some team? Some team will get off to a slow start, right? Of course. You know, one in seven over the first eight games or whatever it might be. At that point, do some guys say, this just isn't worth it, right? I've got my health right now. We're not doing anything. This team isn't good enough. Why am I playing? You know, so I wonder if, if some guys, after you know, their team gets off to a slow start, if they then decide, okay, I'm out. I also wonder if a really big-name player at some point here soon bows out. Now, you could argue David Price is, is a name, but I'm talking somebody like a Mike Trout or somebody of that ilk, a superstar. If a superstar bows out, I wonder if a bunch of guys would then follow. Yeah, I mean, that's... Mike Trout might. Mike Trout's Trout's on the verge. And apply all of this to the NBA, too. I mean, the NBA has... Imagine if, like, LeBron James got skittish. I don't think he will. But, like, if LeBron James to say, you know what, I ain't going to do this. Like, the playoffs are basically wrecked, you know? Yes. Or Anthony Anthony Davis or somebody. Yeah, so. I mean, name any player you want. I also think it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of things interesting to me. I mean, it's a fascinating topic. It's got so many tentacles. But, like, <clears throat> these NBA guys are being tested every day. I talked to Jordan McLaughlin, Wolf's point guard, yesterday. 
He told me, even right now, because he's in the facility, he came back from Southern California. He's now back here in town. He goes over to Mayo Clinic Square, works out on an everyday basis. He literally gets tested every single day, mm-hmm. yet now not necessarily here in Minnesota, but like in Orlando, you know, talking about where the NBA bubble is, some other locations down south, people are waiting in really, really long lines to get tested. They're not able to get tests snap of the fingers like we thought. So four or five months into this thing, you know, there are still parts of this country where the testing is, is clearly not up to standard. You know, so is it a bad look when these NBA guys can get their tests every single day? And I get it. They're paying. The answer right? is yes. You know, it's it, a bad it, look. Fair, right. I mean, they're paying the money. They've got this lab well, or multiple labs that are processing the results. But it just it may not be a good look. Right. That, that a lot of common folks can't get the test that they so badly want yep. when all these athletes are getting tested every day. Hey, Dukes, the one the one thing that ba- the basketball and hockey in their bubbles have to be willing to follow that soccer has started to is this. If this thing runs through a team, you send them home. It's it's the only way. So if the Lakers get five guys or four guys, they're gone. This is why our, our insistence as as sports fans that this is going to be a normal championship. I mean, if you win the the uh, LOB or if you win the Stanley Cup, no. If this runs through teams, soccer is absolutely correct. You disqualify them. You say, sorry, see ya next year. Because if the bubble gets um, gets infiltrated and a team starts to spread this, that team can't be allowed then to just quarantine there. you got to get them out. But what's the solution if a team has multiple positive tests? Let's say they had played the night before. Do you then put the opposition, the team they played, do you put them in quarantine for X amount of days, but are they still alive? Let's say, let's go on your example of of the NBA. So let's say, you know, eight Lakers players test positive. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, okay, Lakers, go home. You're out of the bubble, the campus, whatever you want to term it there in Orlando, you're gone. But let's say the night before the Lakers had played the Clippers. So then what do you do with the Clippers roster? Quarantine them. Yeah. Quarantine them for, right? I I don't care. You know, I mean, I guess there would have to be multiple negative tests for each individual, but that would be at least four or five days. So how much does that screw things up? That's where this thing could snowball, right? Where if, if, if that does happen, how the heck do you end up finishing the season? There's also the, the the other conversation here is if nobody feels symptoms and the percentages show that guys under the age of 30 or 35 are highly, highly, highly unlikely to get smoked by this thing, do you just do you just run them back out? Like, keep them away from Greg Popovich? I don't know. Like, that's that's going to be part of this conversation, especially when the NFL is, But it's that. not just Pop. I mean, it's Alvin Gentry. Yeah. It's Mike D'Antoni. It's, it's any number of coaches. And we still don't know the long-term impact. That's the right? problem. Like, you might be okay mm-hmm. now, but true. three, four years from now, you know, your lungs might be completely effed up. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I think that's 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 a lot of the fear, the unknown of, of what's to come later on. Yeah, you survive it now, but how do you feel in three, four, five years? Hey, Dugues, uh, let's wrap with some rapid-fire scoops. What else you got in your scoop bag for us? Jacob Fry, mayor of Minneapolis, also the Minneapolis police chief. They both were on a Zoom call with the Timberwolves roster earlier this week. What else do I have written down? I had a nice conversation the other day with Alex Kirilov, Twins' top prospect. He enjoys his time over at CHS Field. He's grateful. His wife 
and his young born are, are arriving into town this weekend. But he said the accommodations at the hotel that the twins have put him up at in St. Paul, just everything. He said he's really enjoying his experience right now. It's just it's awkward. He works out with a group of four. It's him, it's Celestino, it's not Royce Lewis, it's a couple other guys. But he goes, it's just it's so awkward, it's so weird. But all things considered, you know, he thinks it's, it's going pretty well when talking about the operation the twins are running over at CHS Field. Bubba Watson is in, although this could always change, but he is in for the 3M Open later this month at the TPC course in Blaine. Cassius Winston, former Big Ten Player of the Year, great player for the Michigan State Spartans, had a recent virtual interview, a draft interview, with the Timberwolves. Also, let me note something about Nelson Cruz, because I never noted this prior, I don't think. His side and the Twins had, I don't want to say lengthy, but, but healthy dialogue about a contract extension going back to February. I'm told the sides weren't even in the same stratosphere. It wasn't even close. And now, you know, you think about maybe 2021, the DH being in the National League, that opens up the door for Nelson to have even more possibilities. So it'll be interesting to see what takes place with Nelson Cruz after this season. Yep. That's Darren Doogie Wolfson from the Scoop Podcast, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. And he's part of the five eyewitness news sports team. And we will talk next week, Dukes. Okay, hey, take it easy, guys. Stay safe. All right. Nelson Cruz, what? He's going to be 41. He's good, but my God, he's going to be 41 next July 1st. Yeah, you can't commit to that. Yeah. You probably can't even what, bring him back after this year. Multi-year contract? Hitting taters, man. I'll give you a nice one-year deal, dude. Yeah. Well, what he Here's doesn't know is room. that the Twins are going to cut like $40 million in payroll, and he will be one of the casualties. Here's your nap room. I love him. He's a great guy, but my God, I didn't know he was trying to break the bank. Come on, let me take him! And Rami. You shouldn't tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your, your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah, 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 I'm in the chin. Ow! You're not trying to draw a psycho pigeon. You really are crazy. Gentlemen, welcome in. An audience, welcome in. To Action Movie Rewind. Every Friday here on Mackie and Judd, we dive into a new action movie. And to this point, we've reviewed like 15 of them. And we rank them, and we do full dives and discuss every potential nook and cranny of said action movie. And this is a gem right here. Judd picked a classic from 1987, Lethal Weapon, starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Gary Busey oh. as Mr. Joshua. Gary Busey, man. Bravo, Gary. Is this is, is this after the car crash? No, this, this, is, crash? this is before the car crash. Yeah, he, looks, he doesn't look as weird. No, this is before. Like Gary yeah. had a run. I think the car crash was sometime in the 90s. Okay. Because Gary had it. We could probably look that up. But Lethal Weapon, 1987, the first of a four-movie franchise and also a Fox TV spinoff in the like 2015-16 range. That was unfortunate. I never saw one episode. I watched one one time. It was bad. It was yeah. It was not good. All right. <laughs> not surprising though. So this movie generated an eighty percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 
$15 million budget turned into $120 million at the box office. Here's the summary. L.A. cop Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson, whose wife has recently died. Recently, meaning seven years ago, by the way. (laughs) I don't know if you guys caught that part. Seven years ago, there was mention. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but like there was a mention that his wife had died in a car accident seven years prior. Mm -hmm. Riggs is a loose cannon with a seeming death wish. This makes him indispensable in collaring dangerous criminals, but a liability to any potential partners on the police force. Roger Murtaugh, played by Danny Glover, is a conservative family man who wants to stay alive for his upcoming 50th birthday, and he's partnered with Riggs. As Riggs gets to know Murtaugh and his family, he begins to mellow out, though his insistence on using guerrilla tactics to catch criminals is still, to put it mildly, above and beyond the call of duty. The main villain is the general, a drug dealer responsible for the death of the daughter of one of Murtaugh's oldest friends. The general is also in charge of a deadly militia-like gang of smugglers. Adding fuel to the fire is the general's chief henchman, played with all stops out by Gary Busey. Yes, that's exactly right. All stops out is well put. And so this movie winds up with Murtaugh and Riggs attempting to take down this militia of drug and heroin smugglers led by Secret the general ops, yeah. and tough. Gary Busey. These aren't your ordinary run-of-the-mill no. drug dealers. These are special ops ninjas. <laughs> what was your favorite part of Lethal Weapon? Okay. Let's start with Judd. Okay, I actually want to bring this to the table because... I had forgotten it, and and I sat down with the computer to watch this and broke down the film. And I have I have <laughs> a, a question, but more so an observation off the original Lethal Weapon. Boys, this is more a Christmas film than Die Hard. Yes. Wow. This is wow. more yes. of a they they acknowledge more about Christmas than Die Die Hard wow. sort of throws it in and they're having the party but this is Merry Christmases through I had completely forgotten so, this. All right, let's let's get in this because the movie starts and ends with Christmas music. That's yeah. exactly right. Jingle, Jingle Bell Rock. Rock. I'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> no, I know this is a revelation to me. I had completely forgotten this or never taken note. Now, all right, I will I will pick a nit with you. It it is more I will say it is more of a Christmas movie than we probably have given it thought to because it is bookended by christmas music and it takes place it's southern california right it takes place in and around christmas yes now die hard took place die hard to me is more christmas it also had christmas music die hard took place at a christmas eve company party yes so die hard took place all on christmas eve okay which makes it a little bit more of a Christmas movie. Like the whole plot was centered around but a terroristic Di- takeover but if of Die a Christmas Die Hard is part. a Christmas film. This has to be considered a Christmas it's, film. It's in the conversation more than I would have thought before watching it again. So I yeah. haven't seen either of Lethal Weapon, and I still haven't seen Die Hard start to finish. Oh my! Oh, you, what? Yeah, oh. I know. Don't pull me over. Don't don't pull me over. No, I feel you have to. Uh, oh, I think, right, I no, think now got, we no, know next week's it. decision. You've no, do it. oh dang it, I oh, don't. This is oh. okay. Hot Take Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of Sports Talk. All uh, suspects are innocent until proven here, guilty hold on. in get Hot Take Court. License. Get my insurance out. This is like telling me on the first date that you've got a kid.
I like this is don't know how to process I, this. Wait, no, I don't know how to process it. Am I? You're so you're so innocent in action movie rewind. This is I amazing. Am. No, I have never seen all great. of Die Hard. No, right. I have it, and I so I I know that there's. An act, I always heard the lore of was it Die Hard or Lethal Weapon that is a Christmas movie. So when I'm start, when I'm watching oh, okay. Lethal Weapon, I'm like, oh, that's the joke. It, it is, and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it was Die Hard that everyone gets all crazy about for all being right. a Christmas movie. So I am like my my emotion here is not to be like mad at Declan for not having seen Die Hard. It's I am so happy now that we get to at some point, and it's my choice to pick a movie this week. It is. Uh, we we get to watch Die Hard with a essentially a first timer. Like if you've seen clips of it, that's great. But to right. to watch it from start to finish, there's also a virgin. There's also yes, he's, he's a, a Die Hard virgin. virgin. Thanks guys. There, there's also a great uh, every year at Lynn Lake Bowl in Uptown. Yeah, Josh Carson is the lead writer, and he plays he plays Bruce Willis's part in. A very diehard Christmas here in the Twin Cities. It's like a spoof play on Die Hard, and it's amazing. So, anyways, wow, that's an amazing, brave admission by Declan, and we need more of that on Action Movie Rewind. Okay, great. Wow. All right. So, so <laughs> your favorite track. part of the movie wow. is that it, it's a Christmas movie. No, 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 no. That was just my top observation after hearing okay. the opening, uh, the music for the opening scene and sure. the last scene. Uh, my favorite part is. Not the do you want a shot at the title part, which I actually do love. But you know what I picked? I love that they spend the first part of the film trying to establish or at least make you think on and off that Riggs is totally crazy. I love the scene where he cuffs himself to the guy who's going to jump yes. and then jumps for him. That was and takes him off the building. Crazy. Now you can jump if you want to, but you'll be taking me with you and that makes you a murderer. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be killing a cop. Now yeah, I'd be killing a psycho nut. Yeah, a psycho, but I'm still a cop. You coming in? Come on, I'm going in. F- you, I'm jumping. Do you really want to jump? jump? Do you wanna? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on, let's do it, asshole. Let's Wait do it. What? I want to do, do it. I want to do it. What do you mean? They overplayed the Crazy. drama there because there was a giant pad right, that covered the whole that. block. Know that. But, but, they, but, but they knew it. Okay, but it's they still knew a, it. It's a fun scene. <laughs> I love the dialogue. That was also my favorite scene, but I'll, I'll pick another one. That, that, that is an excellent scene, especially when, hey, you want a cigarette? He was just like, he's leveling with them. It's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's comedy. It's, he's crazy. We will do a deep dive just into Riggs' character here. So my favorite part of this movie is it's less like a part of the movie, and it's more what this movie represented. This movie represented the peak of 80s glorification of cops, 80s and 90s glorification of police officers. It was like there was a run on movies and series from Lethal Weapon, and it, and it goes from like the mid 80s into into the 90s. Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Beverly Hills Cop. These are all like multi movie. Forty hours, forty eight hours, the same thing. Kindergarten Great Cop, movie. even like you know, that's like Kindergarten Cop is like, how right. far can we go with like cop heroism? <laughs> uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of kindergartners. Let's You're see right. what happens. And pretty much every Steven Seagal movie is like him as a tormented cop, and he's going to get revenge. Right? Yes. We just had this ridiculous run. Like I couldn't see in today's climate having. Movies like this come out that glorify police officers because there's just a lot of controversy over treatment of black people, etc. In fact, there was a line in this movie where they're interviewing the six-year-old kid who saw yes. the uh, the six-year-old kid saw the special forces guy who blew up the house. Mm-hmm. And at one point, like one of the kids says, "My mom says police kill black people." It's yeah. like could that I caught that. Yes, thirty yes. years later. Um, so I think just like the glorification of these 
if you if, if you boil this movie down and you just take Riggs and Murtaugh as police officers. Yes. And how many times they did things that were unethical, illegal, like overt force when not necessary. They're they are mostly terrible police officers who take their uh I don't know. Like they take it too far. The on best a regular part. Basis. The best part about every film that you mentioned, Phil, is this: there's no paperwork after you kill people. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and there's no. We need your gun. There's just I. They kill. They kill the first guy. I, I think, and I think it's supposed to be their first day together. They shoot the guy, and then they go to Murtaugh's house for dinner. Yes. Yep. Like I mean, that's the day. Yeah, eh, we killed a guy. You got to kill everybody. And, and when they went, that's when it. they went to go talk to, no the, to the pimp, and the and the pimp pulled a gun, and they shot him, and he was in the pool at one point. Yeah. Every time, what yeah. different? Okay. Yes, no, the pool. Yeah, the guy who died in the pool, and they just killed him, and then they're like, "Let's go have dinner." All right, your least favorite part about Lethal Weapon? Wait, Dex. Oh, I have a couple. Fa- yeah, I have a favorite part. Oh, I thought you said your favorite part was it the, was. But okay. I'll, I'll provide something else to the table here. It's when they're in the when they kill the guy at the pool, and then you know all the cops come afterwards and they're hanging out like mel gibson and, D- and Donna, danny glover are hanging out in like the the back pool area like the little pool house and glover's trying to have like a really important conversation with mel gibson and gibson's just glued watching football trying to put on his pants yeah it was just like wait a minute like this guy is like he's he's borderline he's depressed obviously he's insane and yes. glover's trying to have like a real legitimate conversation cop to cop and he's cared about like the football game that's on the television while also trying to get dressed. It was just a ridiculous. Yeah, he's a psycho. Like, yeah. they, and they knew he was suicidal, and they were yeah. trying to cover it up and say, "No, nah, whatever. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. He's just going to go get the bad guy." Or is he crazy? Yeah. Actually, we should do a dive just into Riggs. All right, here I I just took notes throughout the movie on like the things that Riggs did from the beginning to the end, and and the four main things that stood out. So right away at the beginning of this movie, well, actually. The movie actually opens, in addition to Jingle Bell Rock, it opens with the naked woman doing cocaine in a penthouse apartment, jumping 30 stories to her death because somebody had put, like, poison in her drink or something, right? Yes. And so it was her father that uh, this was this was uh, Amanda Hunsaker was the name of the woman who yes. who killed herself. And she had gotten caught up in prostitution and drugs and things. And her dad had saved Danny Glover's life in Vietnam. Yes. And so he owed him. But her dad also used to be a part of this shadow company, yes. this heroin smuggling and operation. They kept it going. Kept it going. I mean, uh, wouldn't you? If it made a lot of it's money, lot of I mean, money. it's a lot. It's tough time. Business it's tough times. Heroin is good business. I'm gonna. Times. I'm not gonna lie. I've heard it's yeah. really lucrative. So Hunt. So so the dad Huntsaker wants out of the shadows. He contacts Murtaugh, and then uh, the shadow company finds out that he had contacted Murtaugh. So they have him killed, and, <laughs> and now Murtaugh. <laughs> while he's talking yeah. to Murtaugh, and so then Murtaugh and Riggs are then looking to take down the whole operation. But um, but from a Riggs perspective, so the first time we see Riggs, he's waking up hungover naked and just like sitting on his bed strategically placed cameras you just see his backside Mm -hmm. he walks over to his fridge and pulls out a Coors to start the day great Coors banquet and did you guys see subsequently every beer that anyone drank in lethal weapon was a Coors banquet banquet beer amazing on the boat. Early product boat, placement. He Big hands him guy. a Coors. Love yep. me a banquet. Are you really? Yes, I love me a Coors banquet. Okay. Hate Coors Light. Love go, banquet. Might have to go get some uh, yeah. Get some tonight. Um, and then you had you had Riggs busting the drug dealers early on. So he shows up and he's going to buy, it looked like cocaine. I think it was cocaine, right? Because yeah, he's so like snoring At a it. Christmas tree place. Yeah. At the Christmas tree place, yes. And so the, he's got these two drug dealers and he's sampling the cocaine and he goes, 
And they said, you know, how much do you want? And he goes, I'll take the whole thing. Yeah. And they and they said for uh, for a hundred. And so he pulls out his wallet and starts counting to a hundred dollars in cash. Yeah. And they no. get mad at him because no. no, it's a hundred thousand dollars. They're like, no, dude. And so then he pulls out his badge and. Of course, it's like he pulls out his badge and there's just like a massive gunfight. Right. No paperwork. He kills like two guys. <laughs> I gave yeah. you guys your rights, but now nah, you guys already know what your rights are, don't you? <laughs> this badge ain't real. You ain't real. Oh, you sure are a crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm crazy? Yeah. How you calling me crazy? You think I'm crazy? Yeah, you want to see crazy? I'll tell you. <laughs> now, that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real Gun. Okay, pal. He knows he's in the dirt, asshole. <laughs> and there's a guy behind uh, the Christmas trees in the truck who yeah. shoots at Riggs, but he hits his he hits the uh, dealer, and then Riggs turns around and blows him away, and it's just fantastic. Yes. Then you also we, we talked about the ledge scene where he handcuffs uh, handcuffs himself to the jumper. Yes. The other great rig scene in this movie was they go to the shooting range, and Murtaugh's very proud about like. I still got it at 50, right? He's like shooting the shooting range target in the chest and the face. So the first time you see Riggs's shooting range, it's like all the bullets are perfectly aligned on the face and on the chest. And then, all right, now Murtaugh's going to show you what's up. So Murtaugh does the quick draw, like from 20 yards away, boom, right in the face. Riggs sends the shooting target all the way back to the back of the whatever. It's like 50 yards away or something. Yep. He shoots it seven times into a smiley face yes. in the guy's face. Although I counted seven gunshots and there was actually eight bullet holes. So that was oh, a continuity issue in Lethal Weapon. But that was a great scene, too, where he shows off at the Murtaugh's gun. Murtaugh's damn. Have a nice day. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, what he says at the end. It's great. Yep. Um, so, all right. What else stood out to you in this movie? Actually, let's go back to least, least favorite, favorite part. Least part. Favorite parts. Mine yeah. is very simple. It's at the top of my notes. In fact, it's note number four uh, because it didn't happen until far too late. Very, very simple, boys. Not enough. Busey. Yeah, wow. I, I wanted more Busey. There was no reason why we couldn't have gotten more. L- like that character was not going to get old quickly. That is a great bad guy. In fact, it's one of the best bad guys I've seen. Hint, hint, tease, tease. Um, I could have used a dose of Busey throughout that film way more consistently. I mean, he's so damn good. There's that he's scene, nuts, too. but he's so damn good. I think it was the first or second scene we saw him where they're at uh, the the general guy. These guys come in to do a drug deal or something, and the general guy wants to show, hey, if you screw us, Mr. Joshua here, Gary Busey, is a psychopath, and yes. he will find you. And to prove that, he tells Mr. Joshua, Gary Busey, roll up your sleeve. And he pulls out the lighter, and he burns Gary Busey's forearm while he sits there straight-faced yeah. to scare the guys who are going to come in and buy these drugs. I wanted more of that. Yeah, there could have been like four more scenes Busey just like was that. Just, that's a great, great character. He was. He was. Declan, what was your least favorite part? Uh, there's a couple, and it's more of just like, I don't understand why this happened. Uh, at, at the beginning of the movie, like I think one of the first scenes where Glover's in the bathtub and his whole family just comes in and wishes him a happy birthday, like <laughs> totally nude in the bathtub. Like, I come from a pretty close family, and, and we know a lot, of, a lot of others' business, but I was like, this is a little strange that like dad's in the bathtub yeah. and all the kids are coming in to wish him a happy birthday. And I thought that was really, well, really weird. They did it. So this is one of the rare 80s action movies that does a really good job of character development. And they yeah. did it in small little pockets. It didn't, they didn't do like 30 minutes of, you know, a character story. They did. It was like the first 10 or 15 minutes. They wanted to show you that Riggs is a psychopath whose wife got killed in a car accident seven years ago and he still feels the pain. 
And so they accomplish this all in like two scenes where he's hung over in the morning, he cracks a Coors, he's disheveled, he's crying on the couch, he he's puts a gun the, in his the mouth. Gun in his like, mouth with, with the uh, special bullet. Right. Hollowed up bullet. And then at the end of the movie, of course, he doesn't need that special bullet yeah. anymore, so he gives it back to Murtaugh as a present. But but they wanted to show Murtaugh as this family man who values but his Declan, daughter. Right. And Declan's sort of right, though. It was weird. It was strange. Like, I don't think I want my teenage daughter walking into the bathroom while I'm sitting there in the bathtub. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I, didn't get I get what, what you're saying, Phil, but that scene did strike me as, really? You really want your birthday cake in the bathtub? Okay. And in the Michael Hunsinger scene right before he gets killed, like in his office or wherever, you know, Hunsinger, the, the guy gets gets killed. And right beforehand, though, you notice he, like, takes a carton of eggnog and, like, chugs it. And then if you notice, he puts it down and there's just cartons of clearly eggnog at room temperature in this guy's office. So yeah. he's like, a, not only is he a psychopath trying to figure out what the hell's going on with my daughter, he's drinking room temperature you know eggnog. That and that's insane. That's a that's Christmas nuts. movie, Declan. That's insane. That's are a you Christmas guys, movie. All right. Are you guys eggnog guys? Because I Ugh. am an eggnog guy. No. But it's got to be cold. No. It's got to be cold. I Way. used to be until the lactose problems, and now I'm oh. not. Yikes. Well, you know, I, just like a little. If you're safe on a Friday night, you know that you can go to the bathroom I at don't, will. You know, just a little bit of spiked eggnog, Ugh. little little brandy. The problem oh, is, no. the problem is with the lactose problems. Once the stomach starts to run, it's not like <laughs> go to the bathroom; it's done. It's like the rest of the night, the stomach's going. But yes, I as a kid, I used to love eggnog. Now I'm not so much a fan of it. All right, I think this is the part of action movie rewind where Judd and I are probably gonna probably gonna fight it out a little bit because my least favorite part about this movie is the end sequence. Mm. The shot at the title sequence. What? Yes. Oh, here we go. Wait, wait. So you suspended your disbelief for this entire film until then? It was, it was, I was okay suspending my disbelief until this scene. All right. Let me walk this up. So they lure Mr. Joshua back to Murtaugh's house. And, 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 and a few things happen here. So number one, Mm -hmm. The leader of the operation, General McAllister, is already dead. They have already killed General McAllister. Hollywood Boulevard, he got blown up. They have mostly killed all of the rogue militiamen. They have uncovered this secret drug ring that's been going on for 20 years. Yep. The case is basically over. Like, the leader of the operation's dead. The militiamen are dead. Gary Busey is basically just, like, the lone rogue guy <laughs> running around Los Angeles, yep. trying to get away with whatever crimes he has committed, right? And so they lure, and, and he's still vengeful. Like, he definitely still wants to kill Murtaugh and Riggs and finish off his part of the deal, even he really though, like... Wa- he really wants Riggs. But he doesn't have any anonymity anymore. He has been caught, okay? I think I think I know what it is, though. And I don't think they did a good job explaining it, but they sort of did. Okay, well, let me, let me so, walk up where my logic is. I'll tell you. This is like the most ridiculous, dumb ending to an action movie I can ever <laughs> remember. Is, okay? This is a sacrilege right here. So they lure him back to Murtaugh's house. Yes. And then in order to, like, to, to sneak attack him, they don't just, like, walk into the house and get him. They drive a police car through the side of the living room wall. Well, wait, 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 wait. Um, Mr. Joshua had killed two cops in the line of duty had shot them in that car. And so that car rolls on to the fire, um, uh, not extinguisher, what am I thinking well, did, did the car... The fire hydrant. Did the car come in on accident or was no, it purposeful? No, they found the car and put the knife I in know. the... To send it through. Why would you so ruin your can, house? Because this is Lethal Weapon. Why would you ruin they, your house? In Lethal Weapon it 2. It doesn't they, make sense. In Lethal Weapon 2, his house blows up. 
He's on the toilet, remember? That's true. I do remember that. Come on. Right. It's a theme here. Spoiler so alert. here's what happens, okay? So, yeah, spoiler. So sorry. They, so they purposefully <laughs> ruin Murtaugh's house, yes. okay, for no reason, all right? Yes. And they arrest Gary Busey yes. with dozens of police vehicles and a police helicopter surrounding the lot and the, the cul-de-sac or whatever. He has been arrested. His henchmen are dead. His boss is dead. The operation is over. It's done, okay? He's set to go to jail for a very long time. And Riggs says, what do you say? You want a shot at the title? And of course, Mr. Joshua wants a shot. That means he gets uncuffed and he gets to have a fist fight in the lawn with, was it sprinklers or rain? Uh, sprinklers. Sprinklers. I thought it was rain. Oh, I thought it was sprinklers. <laughs> it was okay. Rain. It doesn't matter. It's a lot of water. It's a lot so of water. So they proceed in a pointless well, fight outside in the sprinkler rain or whatever kind of rain it was. Cops are circled around, like literally asking, like, should I intervene yet? Should I intervene like, no. yet? So Riggs winds up putting him in a chokehold with his legs, uh, but lets up before he kills him, saying it's not worth not it. Worth and then, of course, Mr. Joshua pulls a gun from another police officer's belt, and both Riggs and Murtaugh pull the trigger at the same time to kill him. But my it's point is, motion. why would you have, like, ten police vehicles and all these cops, right. they've already arrested him, and they've decided, you know what? Let's uh, let's take the cuffs off and see if Riggs can just kick his ass on the front lawn. Let me, it's let me explain. To you, absolutely, okay? Undertaker triangle chokehold. Do we had a minute? Let me that explain. That fight this should to have you happened too. before the arrest. First of all, Murtaugh, they they continue to <laughs> to ask Murtaugh at Murtaugh's house. Should we stop it, boss? Because as as Murtaugh got on the scene, they did announce that he is the person in charge until his superior shows up, okay? So Murtaugh is saying, no, he killed two of ours. Let him go. Let him kick his ass. Kick his ass. All right. So here's the other thing, though, that I don't think that they did a good enough job of building up to, but they alluded to it, and I think it's why Mr. Joshua wants rigged so bad. I think that they they might not have crossed paths directly, but I think they came from the same company of special ops in the war. Okay, yep. and and so because the kid who identifies Mr. Joshua as the guy who planted the bomb to blow up the hooker's house looks at the looks at the tattoo on Riggs's arm and says, "It's that tattoo. It's that same." And that's when Riggs says to Murtaugh, "We're dealing with something special here." Or so I think what this was was the vengefulness mm. of of Riggs. And Mr. Joshua, having basically both come from good and now one gone bad. And also, I got to look at my notes here quickly because I got one more point to make off of this. Did you did you see that the same the same hold with that Riggs had on Mr. Joshua? But before he says it's not worth it to kill him is the same move that Riggs used to break Endo's neck. Yes. When he's being tortured with his yeah. with like, the legs yes. and, and triangle it, choke. It's, it's his move. It's a yeah. Seagal like move. It's a better finisher move than Hulk Hogan's leg drop. Yeah. I will give him but that I, for sure. But I think I, I think the end was supposed to be alluding to the fact that both these guys had come from good. Mr. Joshua had gone bad. Riggs obviously was on the side of good. Let it be known that Judd Zulged loved it. Uh, we just reached peak action movie rewind. Judd Zulged uttered the sentence. When a six-year-old who identified the special ops guy who blew up the hooker's house. That is peak that's action when the kid, movie. That's what the kid says. It's that, it's that tattoo. It's but, that exact tattoo. But all of these things, like this is what doesn't make sense. That was the hooker's house. If, if you're planning on the movie ending with this amazing action scene, drama, yes. like two special ops guys going at it. Yes. That has to happen before Gary Busey is arrested. Why doesn't that happen before the cops show up? Like, if that happens before the cops show up, if the like if the cops show up at the end of the fight and like, okay, is he going to kill him or not? And then it, it doesn't make sense. He's already been arrested. There's no reason to let him out of out of his 
detention or whatever. I get what you're to saying. To fight Riggs in the driveway of Murtaugh's house. I it's get so what stupid. You're saying. And I love this movie, but it bothers me. I get what you're saying, but I feel like at times you, you like cross this weird line of, well, I'm willing to believe the rest. What? what no, was this is the, this is the professional wrestling fan of me. Listen, I know yeah. that. What I, was the scene Dex, that that Phil didn't like? Was that in Point Break or something? Which one? It was in Speed or in Speed. Oh, in yeah, Speed. Yeah, in Speed. You're like this doesn't make any sense because it doesn't. I, listen, well, it's not supposed to. As a professional wrestling fan, yep. I am trained to suspend my disbelief up to a certain point. Okay, if God it gets if it gets to a certain point and, mm-hmm. it, and it it's like all right, now we've jumped the shark of suspending my disbelief. I will I will blow a whistle. <laughs> I am blowing a whistle. On the end sequence of am, Lethal Weapon. I am not going to whine, moan, or complain one bit about anything that allowed my guy Gary Busey to have the spotlight <laughs> for a little while longer in oh. this film, okay? All right? Oh, man. Um, other things that stood out here. Actually, real quick, Declan, settle the tie here. Who, 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 who Are you more with Judd? Like, <laughs> I, I'm, right? I'm, just, I'm, right? I'm overreacting to this, or, or do you see my logic here? I completely that? see your logic. Um, I, I think in general, the move, this plot is kind of messy. It's not like I, I thought this was supposed to be a very it has good reviews. Like I was I was had high hopes and I, I, I know we're going to do our rankings here shortly, but I, I'm with Phil. I think the whole the whole thing is, is all over the GD place. It's a little sloppy. I will say the sloppiest part of it outside of the ending is they've clearly stumbled upon a major international drug ring here. Right. Like you oh, got yeah. this thing's been going on for for probably 20 years. Sure. When did Vietnam end? Early 70s? So 74, this, so yeah. So this drug ring's been going on for 15 years, Yep. and it's led by special, like, rogue special ops people who have top-level military-grade explosive devices. Get like The heroin coming into the country. And you've got, like, two local, like, city p- police department guys who are heading this whole operation oh, yeah. to take them down. Well, I feel like, like, like shouldn't, like... A federal government wing be part of this? Like, shouldn't the FBI be investigating in, this? They're not even brought in. Here, we don't need the FBI. No, here, okay, here's the, the thing. Orlando Police Department. Here, here's the thing about the film that got messy and, and um, a bit conflicted at times, or confusing, not conflicted, uh, but it was an interesting move. It's the character development. Like, they work really hard. There are, for... This segment, yeah. there are large, large chunks of time without people dying. For sure. Actually, my what I do have a favorite part of character development. I think sometimes these movies can get too caught up in like, listen, we I don't need a lot of character development. I don't like Rocky Three is great. I just need to see Mr. T training at the beginning and then insulting Rocky's wife a couple times and like I'm good. I all right, I know that he's a bad guy. <laughs> right. Okay. So but but I think they wanted this to be about Action and also the Riggs Murtaugh relationship, right? Correct. Because it's kind of a it's kind of a buddy cop Riggs Murtaugh, the odd couple. And my favorite part about that character development is when so Murtaugh is skeptical. He thinks Riggs is a psychopath, but he's kind of coming around a little bit quickly. And and Riggs comes over to Murtaugh's house to eat dinner one night, and Murtaugh says to Riggs at the end of the night as he's walking to his car, "Hey, do you really like my wife's cooking?" And of course, like most people in that situation, to not upset whoever it is in the family would say, oh, love your wife's cooking. And Riggs goes, mm-hmm. no, see you tomorrow. And Murtaugh smiles because he knows if he can tell the truth about my wife's cooking, I can trust him and, he, and, and, and he'll tell the truth to me about anything. Right? Absolutely. There you go. So there was some pretty good character development in this. Movie. I can't believe I'm about to go here, but I will. OK. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, Mel Gibson and Glover. Are good actors like they're they're legitimately pretty good, yeah, or very good at times. Okay, yeah. 
I would I would hazard to guess that both of them said if this is going to be like a Seagal flick, we ain't doing it. And in fact, the Wikipedia page on this film specifically said that Gibson had been offered roles like this before and read the scripts and didn't like them hmm. because it basically just was bang, 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 bang. Bruce Willis was actually they flirted with Bruce Willis to play the Riggs oh. role, I believe. In and this he would have been good. Yeah, and, and they eventually played that role basically. In Die Hard. Yeah, but Gibson, a, a but I think Gibson and Glover actually probably, this sounds so silly to say now, actually probably had some script type control of if you're just going to have me come in and start killing people, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I need a little, little, need a little, because uh, they actually did. I mean, for, for, sure. for, for this era to spend as much time developing the characters yeah. back then. I think was I think was really odd. Okay, who was your next category here? Who is your favorite character in this movie? That's not even that. That's the easiest question ever. Mister Joshua, Gary Busey's character is phenomenal. Like this guy again. I, he is nuts. I completely get that. He's nuts in real life, but my God, is he good? Yes, he's my so favorite. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your guys' minds here for a second. Okay, you guys have all seen that that kids baseball movie from like 1992 rookie of the year yeah. where Gary Busey plays Chet Stedman, the old veteran oh, yeah. Cubs pitcher. Yeah. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. So it's a, it's this kid falls and breaks his arm. And when his arm heals, it becomes bionic oh, yeah. and he throws like a hundred miles an hour. And he, and so Gary Busey is like the old washed up, like sore shoulder veteran pitcher in that movie. Gary Busey is basically playing the same character in lethal weapon as oh, Mr. Wow. Joshua, as he is as Chet Stedman. Really? It's as if like, Mr. Joshua on the side was also a major league number one starter for the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, if funny. you get a chance, just a little bit of side homework for you. Go watch Rookie of the Year. All right. Yeah. He's great. All right, Dex, what was your, your favorite character in this movie? I love Danny Glover. Danny Glover is one of my all-time favorite actors, so I'm, I was all in on him. I'm too he, old he, for this. And Yeah, the, I'm too old for this line. He's a good family man. Um, he's without a doubt. He was my favorite guy. I'm trying to find the name of the actor, but my favorite character in this movie was actually the guy who was about to commit suicide jumping off the ledge. He was pretty good. It was such an over-the-top... I tried to find him when I was watching it, too, and I'm looking on IMDb right now as well, and I still can't figure out who the hell it is. Dude had great hair. Jumper. I'm going to Google Jumper and Lethal Weapon. His (laughs) name was McCleary. uh, Michael Shaner as McCleary. All right, so let's see here. Uh, Michael Shaner... I just want to see, has he ever been in any other movies? That's what I want to know. Yeah, sure. he looks super familiar. <laughs> so he does have an IMDb page. All right, here, here's his IMDb. He does have a few movies that he was known for. Uh, the last time he was in anything was 2008. He was in the TV series Numbers, and he just played like in one episode. He was in uh, Judging Amy in 2004, and he was in a bunch of stuff in the 90s. Hmm. Uh, nothing I've really ever heard of, though. Blood Fist? Sounds like a good action movie. Yeah, I was going to say, should we, should we review it? Uh, Blood Fist. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like something. Once we get to the end of our list of movies. But that guy, I like that guy. That guy okay. was played. That guy. So he's your favorite? He was my favorite character oh, in the movie. Oh, man. Mr. Joshua is so good. Well, let's get to Mr. Joshua here because our next category is our definitive bad guy rankings here. And so far, the rankings for the other bad guys we've done are Cyrus the Virus from Con Air is number one. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse is number two. Yvonne Drago from Rocky Four is number three. Dennis Hopper from Speed is fourth. And the rogue CIA agent James Monroe from The Expendables is fifth. 
The rest of the list is angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One, corrupt senator from Hard to Kill, the aliens in Independence Day, Chong Lee from Bloodsport, Bennett from Commando, Bodie from Point Break, General Hummel from The Rock, Sloan from Wanted, and the incompetent Russian military from Rambo 3. Judd, where, uh, where should Mr. Josh will fall on I am going list? to put Gary Busey number one. Oh, what? My, come dude. On. Number come on one now. on bias, my bias, list. Bias, bias, Number Yes, I, yes, now. he's fantastic. He's a great bad guy. Like, I wanted more. He didn't like, show up to like an hour into the movie. I yeah, feel like. and he still left that indelible impression on my brain. That's what's so impressive about it. I'm putting he's, him number he, one. He's very good. I, I can't. I'm, this is going to be. This is going to wind sorry, up being. Malkovich. Like, we're going to have to find some middle ground sorry, here. Sorry, Malkovich. He's not number one. He's not number one. I would say. I would pretty fairly consider him in the top five. So, like, I'll give you. I think. I think the movie could have used more of him. So, I definitely agree with you on that front. And I almost feel like he should have just been the head of the whole thing. Like, what, what, do we really need the general guy? Do we really need two guys? Like, yes. just have Gary Busey be the henchman. I yes. think Busey was too crazy in in their mind to be a believable top guy. But yeah, he was. He could have been the top. Guy. They had jumped the shark anyway, on so many other things. Like, yeah, no, I get, know. Okay, Riggs is too crazy to be a cop. So, <laughs> like. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Crazy? Um, so I'm going to I'm going to put him. I'll put him ahead of Dennis Hopper in speed because you guys know that I'm. Yeah, you were not high. In Dennis That's Hopper. where I'm split. I put Dennis him, Hopper was better. I put him fourth. OK. All right. Okay. Where would you put him? I'd put him. I put him below Hopper. Below Hopper. Below Hopper. So would that be fifth? I put him fifth. So Judd's got him first. I've got him fourth. Hopper was more involved in the movie, which probably excuse my. Okay. More. Here's the I thing. I can't put Mr. Joshua. I cannot put him ahead of Ivan Drago, who's third. You guys are disrespecting Mr. Joshua. This he's going to kick your ass for this. All right. You know. So, so Judd, you're putting him ahead of Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Yes, I put him first. So I have one. I love Malkovich. Right, I'm we'll him split first. the difference. We'll put him third. Okay. We'll okay. put him third. That's fair. All right. So it's Cyrus the Virus, Brad Wesley from Roadhouse, Mr. John. I I can't put him above Brad Wesley. Brad Wesley was in the movie more. Was more widely evil and covered more Busey grounds. Busey got screwed by the writers. That's not Busey. <laughs> Mr. Joshua, it's not his fault. The writers bleeped him. All right, we need a 1 through 10 Seagull rankings. How many Seagulls would you give Lethal Weapon? You want to start with me? The top movies to this point are Commando with a 9.2 average score, Expendables, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four. round out the top five for us. I like this film a lot. Um, it tried probably in 1987 to do things that were a little bit unusual for genre at that time, but I'm going to give it an eight. Mm. I'm going to give it an eight and here, here's a why it doesn't get a 10. The, the amount of time between kills became disturbing to me. Like the whole purpose when I do this, but the kills are more meaningful when there's a story behind them. Is for the, I understand that, but I wanted more kills and you could have killed more people. How they don't kill the guy in the nightclub who they established to the viewer that Mr. Joshua is crazy, how they don't, like, shoot him is is a crime. All right, Dex, what, what score would you get? How many cigars? I, I give this a 6 out of 10. Um, I, I think it takes a long time to get to Busey. It starts with this naked woman jumping out of a building. You're trying to figure out this, and then it, it's a crazy cop who is depressed from his wife's being— There's there's too many moving parts till it really gets good, in my opinion. Uh, there's some amazing one-liners— some awesome acting by Gibson. So it's not, a, I don't think it's a train wreck, but I'm disappointed by it in a little bit. So I would say a six out of 10. I'm giving it an eight as well. And okay. I think the only things that hold it back are just the ridiculously dumb ending to the movie. It True. just, it, it definitely takes a point or two off Who of it. Who wins the title, Mackie, huh? Well, who wins the title? 
Listen, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to see these guys in a, in a two out of three falls situation. You know, I think I think uh, Riggs got the first one. Three stages of hell. I like it. Yep. So uh, with <laughs> so with that, the composite score is a seven point three, which makes it the seventh ranked action movie out of the fifteen. It looks like that we've done so. so it's seven. Actually, we've done fourteen of them. So interesting. Far. Okay. Yep. So it, it falls behind Point Break, Independence Day, Rocky Four, and just ahead of Speed, Con Air, The Rock, and Air Force One. It is my turn to choose a movie, and, and for those of you listening to and or watching on our YouTube channel, um, we love to throw these out a week in advance so that you can watch the movies sometime during the next seven days and then experience the review with us on these Fridays or over the weekend if you're listening to the podcast. I think your choice is clear, by the way. Well, my so I had a movie picked. I think it's, I think you got to. Before we call went one, in here. Before I got pulled over. We like to call an audible in the business. It has to be Die Hard. It just has to be. Okay. I mean, Declan is a diehard virgin. That, that's breaking news. It's something it that nobody knew. Like of all the films that I would say, hey, you probably haven't seen, I'm actually shocked by this one. Get me my detonators. Uh, Mr. Takagi. This film has no problem getting to the point. No, this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this movie. Like the character, the character never... development here yeah. is snappy. But they do a good job. Like, you they know, do, who, yeah. you know who the characters are. You know what they want. It's well done. Yep. So uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not ripping right. it. Die Hard is right. Die Hard. Also, we might be approaching. Yeah. This might be on the Mount Rushmore of action movies, too. I would like to call for a vote as well. Next Friday, I think we need to hash out officially. More of a Christmas movie, Lethal Weapon or Die Hard. Okay. Because yeah. I, I think back-to-back, and if people want to tweet us as well, I think back-to-back we really can hash that out. I think you'll find that it's Die Hard, but it's worth a conversation. I have my doubts I would now. argue that Die Hard 2, Die Hard 2 is actually more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. Because Die Hard 2 takes place with snow involved. Because okay, it takes, place, it takes oh, place at a different area. Okay, go. but we're not talking yep. about Here Die Hard 2. We're talking about <laughs> Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, both in Southern California. Yep. Uh, for the record, I was, I don't want to give away too much, but I was going to make Judd watch his first ever Bond movie Never seen oh, okay. as part of it. That's but we'll get, we'll get to that we'll at get some to point. It, yeah. so, right. Absolutely. Action movie rewind. Way to go, Declan. partner in on this. Partner again? Yeah, some cat he's on loan from Dope. We'll burn out on the ragged Hey, end. look at that, will you? Not bad for an old man. Hey, step aside, old man. <laughs> Have a nice day. We wrap with Roycey three days a week on the show. Pat, our sources are telling us you were at a youth baseball game last night. Yes, and it was worse than the pandemic. Oh, no. I am depressed. <laughs> baseball is on the way out. It's, uh, they, were, they thought I was worried about football. Baseball's pretty well over. That's what I think. This is as down as I've heard you in a long time, Roycey. Uh, how old are these kids? How old are the incompetent well, baseball player kids? But here's, here's the problem. And Tom Kelly, two-time winner of the World Series, uh, as you know, as a manager, now I'm a baseball man for life. Is whenever asked how to get young kids to improve at baseball, do you know what he says? Hmm. Play catch. Play catch? Play catch. That's point eight. There's no sense in going to point B if you cannot execute point A, right? 
You gotta yeah. work extra, you know. There's no saying, okay, today we're gonna practice throwing and tomorrow we're gonna practice hitting and the next day we're gonna do this. No. Today we're gonna practice throwing and catching. If we don't succeed in this, tomorrow we're gonna practice catching and throwing. And if we don't succeed tomorrow, the next day we're gonna practice catching and throwing. We have to catch and throw before we can go anywhere in the grand old game of baseball. Would you not agree with that? By the way, that was uh, that's exactly what Tom Kelly said uh, heading into spring training in 1997 as well, I believe. He told that. Todd Walker yeah. and McCarty that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> he did say that. But uh, uh, my team that, by the way, apparently was victorious 11-4 to against some other team two days earlier, which is a miracle. Uh, uh, you know, they must have given up six or seven runs from the catcher throwing the ball back to the pitcher either on a bounce or into the, you know, it looked like Dave Inkle had uh, been reincarnated as oh, a no. nine-year-old or ten-year-old uh, when Dave Inkle couldn't return the ball. That's another thing. We give every kid a chance to catch in the pit, right? And in this level, y'all get right. a chance. Right. No. No. You do not need to have them play an inning behind the plate to determine if they're going to be a catcher or not. That can be determined in practice when you put them behind the plate and then have the pitcher throw to them, right? You're practicing now, right? Or you're just practicing, and all you're doing is practicing throwing what I think is 45 feet at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. And you catch it. Now, if the kid can catch the ball, that he's halfway home, right? And then mm-hmm. he has to throw it back to the pitcher in the air with great consistency and within within the knees and the cap, right? Somewhere in there. The throw's got to be in there. It can't be bounced. It can't be lost. It can't be thrown way left or th- right, way right. It has to be thrown back to the pitcher. Son, if you can't do this, you're not catching an inning, okay? <laughs> this just makes life miserable for everybody, right? Am I right? I can't disagree Pat, with that. Yeah, either. no, Pat, keep preach. Yeah, Pat, I, 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 coached, I coached kids pitch 10U for two years when I was in high school, and the one rule I had as a coach was I'm going to have a competent first baseman and a competent yes. catcher. Yes. Everything else yes. will work itself out. Yes. Honestly, the first baseman thing is key. Like As you get to the older yeah. levels, you just put the you put the blockheads at first base, yeah. right? No, no, no. You need the, the, the one kid that can catch a throw plays first yeah. base. But yeah. this is the 10-year-old level now, and this is the first time that the kids are actually pitching. And uh, my, my uh, grandson had a little trouble in his inning. He made it one-third, you know. But uh, How many earned? But, but, uh, how many walks? But, oh, God, uh, uncountable. How many, but, hey, uh, how many mound visits do you get in 10-under? <laughs> uh, well, he got hooked after the second one. and uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know. But but he discovered one thing. 
Yesterday. He's an infielder, okay? He discovered that. Now he doesn't have to go back. To well, at least he's not an outfielder. I yeah, think yeah. it would be it would be hilarious if we could get Judd in a full baseball uniform to manage a game, Boy, a 10 yes. game, like like, yes. like Ron Gardner. You get frustrated. You argue with umpires. You walk out to the mound with <laughs> your head down, slow walk. You I signal to the bullpen. Me. I want Royce with me. Wait, wait, Pat, Pat, Pat. We got Babe Ruth ball. We got Mantle ball. What about Royce ball? A youth yeah. league where all of your dreams, ideas are put into place, and if yeah. you suck, you get called out. <laughs> well, you just get okay. You're not a catcher. And yes, you're not a pitcher. And you're not a pitcher. The Nationals did this in the middle of an actual game with Matthew Lecroy. I mean, it's not that hard. I ended up at Bennett Family Park in Tonka in my youth. I every season that I played ended up picking dandelions in right field. You know why? Because I sucked. You know what? When my kids were playing, we had a crusty old coach named Jack Andrews. He was the drugstore guy in town. He got the uniform on. This was his thing. I think he was coaching like 12 under, maybe. And but Jack was fired up, man, and he had standards. And my friend, Carl Peterson, came out to watch, I think, my oldest son play. And we were sitting there behind the grandstand having a couple of gin and tonics and watching the game, right? <laughs> and, and he was a great kid. I knew him. And he was playing second, right? And Val, he was a pretty good player, like a 12-year-old athlete. And they hit him a ground ball, and it went through the legs. And like the second inning, and Jack hooked him. That's what we need, right? Mike Andrews! Charlie Finley fired Mike <laughs> Andrews during a World Series because of that. <laughs> Jack hooked the guy. Carl Peterson, man, he didn't have kids. And he had been indoctrinated youth sports. Thought it was the funniest thing he had ever seen in his life. Val, let me, it wasn't a hook from the dugout. It was like walking five Yeah, that, that that was mostly okay. I I will say okay. the that but that was my thing too because it was kids pitch too as well, Pat. So like the pitching and the infield defense was kind of like not my main focus. I want to keep this as quick as possible. So the catcher, please get that ball back to the pitcher. And if there is a grounder and it's thrown across the diamond, I want the first baseman to be able to catch it. Everything else will work out itself. And, and here's another thing: you got a pitcher who's thrown in the general direction of home plate, right? And I mean general. And now he throws, you know, kind of drops down a little, finds a relief point, and throws a strike, right? And then he does it again. Do it for the rest of your life. (laughs) Changing where you're throwing the ball from, you know? Relief point. Relief point. I told told, uh, my grandson's older sister, I said, when you get him home, because I had to leave. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I was there for an hour and a half to watch three innings. I said, tell him he's got to repeat 
his delay. He's got to repeat his release point where he lets the ball go. If he throws a strike, he's got to go back and do that again. That he's got to repeat it. He's got to throw it from the same place. She says, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, yeah. Only you would tell somebody's sister what they should do when they get home for release <laughs> well, points. Pat, what, Pat, Pat you, can, you can call Rick Anderson and empathize about the way they talked to Alex Meyer five years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's true. She's she's a two years older and bossy, though, so I thought maybe she could deliver the message. <laughs> I'm sure she'd remember release points. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, the Roycey Baseball Youth Association is right around the corner. Yep. We're gonna get the we're gonna get the bleeping ball back to the bleeping pitcher. That's the first thing. <laughs> That's the motto. And we're gonna practice. And w- instead of just willy nilly putting a kid behind the plate, which is the most difficult position in all of sports, goaltender included, because you know, in in goaltending, the puck can accidentally hit you. Right in baseball. If it hits you and bounces away, it does no good. Correct. Right? So it's harder than goaltending. It's the hardest position in sports. And if you prove to me in two days of practice that you can't throw the ball back to the pitcher, you're never catching an inning, kid. You're done. Go someplace else. Yep. Go to right field. Start the bad ones in right field like we used to, right? And let them work their way <laughs> That's around. That's where I played. I told you. Hope, hope picking that no Dandelion, one hits it there. Picking dandelions in right field in Minnetonka. And, and that, <laughs> That's where we want them. And that is a wrap on Patrick Royce's youth <laughs> baseball way, advice. one thing I want to say, the Woodbury team that these guys were playing, yeah. my grandson leads off. He hits a nice, hard ground ball, you know, three-hopper towards the shortstop. The Woodbury kid picks it up and throws him out by 10 feet. And I said, okay, somebody knows what they're doing. It looks like baseball. And uh, Woodbury kid, they play baseball. I don't know what the hell the other guys were playing, but they play baseball. Well, this is our new weekly feature on Fridays, by the way. Congratulations the only, to the Woodbury coach. The only grandfather who applauded his grandson being thrown out by 10 feet at first base because the shortstop made a play that was going to get Grandpa out of the ballpark quicker. Ask Declan. Ask Declan. Shortstop, first base, catcher. That's That's all you need. That's all you need. And we were only missing three of those. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. See you, Pat. Bye-bye. All right. That's uh, wrapping with Royce. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday on the show. The Royce Youth Baseball Association. The motto, do you suck? Because if you do, you're going to play the outfield. <laughs> Back in my day, that's where you played, though. I started every year at catcher. I wanted to catch. By two games or three three games in, I got the hook. I once begged to play third base. I think they put me there for an inning or so. And the rest of my career was spent in the outfield. See, I was one of the trustworthy ones that played <laughs> catcher me. in fifth and sixth grade. And then migrated hooked. to first base, not out of like, I wasn't like a big, like, you know, power hitting guy, but like I could catch and scoop. And so they like, they saw, oh, he can like scoop a one hopper. That's great. So I got to play first base. But then I realized like, as you get into high school, it's like, I don't want to play catcher because no. that sucks. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, like first base, I think you probably have to be able to hit a ball to the warning track, which I've never done even in softball. Where'd you play? So, uh, I wound up playing center field and then the corner outfield spots. In high school, like that, that's not yeah. terrible though. Well, no, like once in you get, youth baseball, it's death. Well, once you get to yeah, once you get to like varsity level, like guys are actually hitting the ball to right field. Absolutely, yeah, so right. like you actually have to be responsible for something. But cannon arm, um, big arm, Mackie. 
I wouldn't say cannon. Ben I would say more like a super soaker arm. Yeah. Clemente like? Ben Revere. Pretty close. Ben yeah. Revere. Well, it looks like Ben Revere. All right, that's a wrap on this week's shows. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Mackie and Judd. And be sure to check out our daily Vikings conversations on Purple Daily as well. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.